on this good earth. There are three peoples I don't mess with. The I, the Aura, and the S. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. Welcome, One Broken Cog Podcast listeners. You know, when you look backward at someone's life, how they spent it speaks volumes about the person. I'll tell you about Charles. 50 years of financial leadership experience in a broad range of industries. He's also a licensed CPA. He's held Series 7 and 66 securities licenses. They're not easy. Now, check this one out. He's one of 86 people in the last 16 years to pass the U.S. Tax Court Non-Attorney Practitioner's Exam which enables him to represent clients, could be you, in the U.S. tax court without being an attorney. He was a decorated United States Marine Corps Sergeant, a combat veteran of the Vietnam War. Charles, thanks for your service. He's a 20-year member of the Rotary Club of Dallas, a member of the club's board of directors, 11 years as treasurer and chairman of the Rotary Club of Dallas Foundation, currently on the board of the Veterans Coalition of North Central Texas. He's an author of three books, and I could go on, and I could go on, and I could go on. <laughs> Welcome, Charles. Good to have you on. John, it's a pleasure to be with you today. So take our listeners through, if you will, little Charles to big Charles. You know, let's go back in time. Let's talk about how you got to where you are today. Give them some perspective. Well, I grew up in a family business. My father was an insurance consultant in Iowa, Iowa and Illinois. Uh, my first job at the age of six was filing group health cards alphabetically. Once I learned the alphabet. Okay. okay? Uh, I got paid a nickel an hour, I think. Wow. So I grew up in a business and I, my parents worked together. My mother was in the business. So I thought that was normal. Okay. Went to school, skipped a year of high school, graduated 16, worked for a few months, joined the United States Marine Corps, spent four years in the Corps, good years, two years overseas, uh, Vietnam, uh, came back, met my wife, married her in Kansas City where I was stationed. She had five children when I married her. Uh, I claim insanity, but good, we were married. <laughs> we, we, you know, she raised six kids. Me, me and the five kids, you know, she was 10 years older than I was, uh, you know, I was her boy toy and she raised me right. Uh, so it was fun. We were married for 45 years before she passed. So it That's worked. Wonderful. Yeah, that worked. Uh, Definitely. Uh, I found out after I got out of service that uh, all my experience in the core, people looked at it and said, well, you don't have a degree. We, you know, I got stories about that anyway. So yeah. I went and got my degrees. I went and got my bachelor's and my master's. I started in June of 64 and in December of 67, I had, no, 74 to 77. I had my master's in, in basically two and a half, three and a half years, whatever it was. I, I was. I was motivated after the core and had the discipline to work at it. Sat for and passed my CPA exam at the same time. Okay. I went to work for Texas Instruments as we were talking about. And I worked for major corporations for a number of years. Uh, did a lot of things, learned a lot of things, a lot of industries, and realized I was never going to run a major corporation. I did not have the political skills. I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. 
So I said, if I'm going to run a business and I wanted to, I'd watch my father run one for years. I'm going to have to start my own. So I did. And uh, it's been now almost 30 years since. Uh, it was a mobile accounting service with a, with a payroll function involved. Uh, we got rid of the vans after a few years as technology changed. I'd taken on a partner, a junior partner, became a full partner. Uh, here about seven, eight years ago, I sold him the accounting. I kept the payroll because I was enjoying it, and I still am, and I'm having a great time. Uh, in the meantime, I got my U.S. Tax Corps Practitioner's uh, license and uh, uh, became a member of the IRS Advisory Council. I've been meeting with the IRS uh, five times a year for the last three years. You know, I'm at the top of my profession and own my own company and make a nice living and have a good time. So, you know. <laughs> so what, what attracts you to the payroll business? Because it, it, it's clear, obviously, from, from the way you're speaking and, and from prior conversations, um, that this is not just something to help pay the mortgage, that you actually really do enjoy it. What do you find intriguing about it? Well, you have 15,000 diverse taxing authorities, all who have their own opinions about the way things should be done. And I like a good fight. So when they screw up, when they pick on my clients, when they do stupid things, I love to stand up and say, no, you don't get to do that. I'm not going to allow it. Uh, you're wrong, and I'm going to prove it to you. And I do on an ongoing basis because the IRS, and along with the states, make literally millions of mistakes every year. Okay, the IRS is 100,000 people, most of who are eligible for retirement, uh, working with technology, some of which goes back to the 1960s. Okay, and they don't, the modules don't talk to each other. There's software problems, and there's people problems, and systems problems. And you're dealing lots of times with low level people who are inputting very, very important data, and they don't care whether they get it right or wrong in some, right or wrong in some cases. And there's typos and everything else. A lot of it's still manual. Manual work, you get typos, you get problems, you get yes. everything. Yes. So I protect my clients. We're compliance experts. My job, you know, my, my competitors do a reasonably good job of preparing paychecks. They all do. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't be in business. Right. But what they don't do is what we do. And that's compliance. And I love that. I love knowing the law and the rules and the regulations better than the people I'm, I'm fighting with. And in many cases, I do. I'm the expert. I'm the guy that gets called. Uh, you know, I'm the guy that writes the articles that they quote. This is fun. I, I enjoy taking My lawyer, in a different case, used the, the phrase a number of years ago. He said it's like playing high-stakes poker with somebody else's money. And I enjoy that. I enjoy the competition. I, I enjoy the confrontation because I can do it professionally, have a good time at it, and go home and, you know, my girlfriend still loves me. So, you know. <laughs> so so share, with, share with the listeners some of the things that, that you found or you find interesting that probably most business owners, taxpayers really don't understand about the IRS. Well, the IRS is very insular. Uh, having worked with them for the last three years, they live in a bubble. They live inside that 
inside the beltway, inside the, the federal government. They don't live in the world the other 329.9 million people do. That 100,000 people lives in their own little world. And that own little world, they're right and they're the authority and they know what's best, but they have no real idea of what we all do out here. And that's their biggest problem. That's why they have an advisory council. That's why they have people like me that go up and talk to them uh, because they don't live in the real world. And that's why is that? To help, help everybody, because I don't think these are all necessarily bad people at heart, but no. it, it's an institution that, that has bred something. Help everybody understand that. Well, it's a bureaucracy. And understand a bureaucracy exists to grow so the people in charge of the bureaucracy have a bigger headcount, which justifies a bigger salary. They're not interested in what we have to say, except in the advisory council. They're not interested in what goes on out there. It's not their business. Their business is taxes and Congress and taking the laws and interpreting them within their own structure. And that's where a disconnect comes in. Congress is disconnected to a great extent from everyday life. They, right. they also live in, in their world. Right. They don't go out and have to make payroll and fire people and, and put up with hysterical employees and the sewage line breaking and, uh, you know, the, the, the somebody burglarizing the place or robbing the place or employees getting shot by, by some midnight robber. They don't live there. They write the laws, which in many cases are written by their staff and then just approved by them. They give it to the IRS, who then interprets them and writes regulations and, and rules and procedures. And all of this is done without real input from the millions, the hundreds of millions of us that have to go out and make a living every day. You know, the IRS people during COVID, like the congressional people, they got all their salaries. They got every paycheck. They got every benefit. Right. They didn't have to scrape. They didn't have to cut back. They didn't have to lay people off. They just went home and stayed home. They got their full pay. God, I'd like to do that. Yeah. My people worked from home and I paid them, but they worked. Okay. We, we were lucky, but some of my clients, some of my restaurant clients laid off 85%, 90% of their people. Yep. Okay. Permanently. This was, and some permanently, some have gone out of business. Yeah. This was devastating. Yeah. The government people don't do that. They don't have to live that life. They get a guaranteed it, salary and they can't get fired. So put it, help put this in another perspective. The, the, the vast majority of policymakers in the United <laughs> States, uh, more so than on a, on a municipal level. So when you start to get into county, state, and federal government, the policymakers, the elected officials, the, the predominant industry they come out of is law. It just yes. is, okay? It but is. would you take a guess of what percentage of those, when they got their law degree, they, when they practiced law, what percentage of those were tax attorneys? Uh, in Congress, there was exactly, until he retired, one person who did their own tax return. That was Archer from Texas. That was the only congressional. That was the only congressman that did his own taxes. So one, just one. 
who understands. One was capable of doing their own taxes. That's it. But I think it's even more important. What you're also saying is only one who had an interest in tax law enough to become involved. Enough to do their own taxes. Everybody else used somebody. They had outsiders do their taxes because it's, it's too complex. It's, you, if you don't live it like I do every day, and I don't do a lot of tax work outside of employment taxes anymore because I can't keep up with both. It's overwhelming. It's why I gave up doing financial planning and, and investment work is I couldn't keep up with taxes and the market. It was impossible. It, it, there's just too much going on, too much in the world, too much news, too much changes, too much everything. So you've got to specialize, and Congress doesn't specialize in taxes. Right. There's only a few people on the committees that even begin to understand them, and most of the people who understand them at all are their staff who you know, aren't responsible to anybody, basically. They work for a congressman, and they, they have a salary, and it must be nice. Then you get to the IRS, and they're writing the regulations and the rules and the procedures to implement the laws, and they're totally insulated from the effect that these laws have on them. They don't suffer for them, okay? Uh, particularly in employment taxes. They're not subject to any of that. They don't care. Yeah, Again, they're good people. Most of them, I, I deal with them all the time. Most of them are very good, conscientious people. Okay. They're nice people. You, you treat them nice. They treat you nice. Okay. I talk to them. I'll get in. My staff will kid me. I'll get in a conversation with a mature woman in New York and we'll be talking about grandkids for 20 minutes on the phone. <laughs> She's an IRS agent, but we're talking about grandkids. Okay. They're, they're not, they're people. They really are. <laughs> they're not out to get you. They just they're not connected to you in many cases, which is why I like to talk about the grandkids. It builds a connection. <laughs> it builds a connection. So, so they're, they're really, in, in my mind, three significant, I mean, there's probably more, but three significant factors uh, going on right now that are going to affect the future of um, the IRS and tax compliance, I would say. And that's the fact that there's a lot of the economy, and I think right now in COVID, there's even more that's moving to a cash society. There's a reduced number of people in the IRS. I was reading some stats on to what the probability of being audited was. It keeps going down because there are less and less people. And right. the laws are continuing to change, and that's not going to stop. So what does that mean for the, the average small business owner who's trying to sort through all of this stuff? Well, it's going to get more difficult, not less. Tax changes create problems, and we're no longer living in an environment where you know what that box of laws is. You know what's legal, and as long as you operate in that box, you're fine, because that box changes all the time now. You know, 20 years ago, it wasn't as bad, but starting about 2000, tax changes became much more rapid and changed constantly. Used to be you'd get a major tax bill every three or four years, but it'd just be one bill. You could read it and understand, get the regs, get the treasury rules, and you'd be fine. But nowadays, and this last year has just been 
you know, you, you got the PPP and then they changed it 40 times in, in the next 20 weeks. How do you live with something like that? It's an ever-changing environment. You're, you just have to take aim and, and at best you can and, and, cha- and change on the fly as things change. Uh, and that's, that's tough for the small businessman. Now, the gig economy is growing and growing rapidly. And there's been things like the California referendum that makes it semi-permanent. It may not change. It may change. You know, they passed Senate Bill 8 and uh, they said, well, no, they're uh, Uber and everybody is, is now an employee. Then they had to go back a few weeks later and change it because there were all these unintended consequences right. that they hadn't figured out what was really going to happen with the law they wrote. Right. Then they had a referendum that threw out part of it for Uber and Lyft drivers. Right. Okay. You know, the thing, we now have corporations that are basically rewriting the law for themselves. I don't know what, you know, our, our elected representatives are doing, but these corporations are, 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 are influencing the law. Uh, and the small businessman, he's just screwed. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and the reason the reason why the IRS sorry sorry for the soft message, ladies and gentlemen listening. Strong memo will follow. Well, if you'd really like me to tell you how I think, <laughs> uh, compliance in the gig economy for tax compliance is terrible. W two people are ninety nine percent compliant. Ten ninety nine people are ninety seven percent compliant. People who neither have forms filed nor taxes withheld are 37% compliant. Huge drop. Huge drop. That's why the IRS really wants everybody to be an employee and would prefer that. And Congress is going to have to, at some point in time, realize that if they don't stem uh, the gig economy in some way to force reporting, tax revenues are going to dry up. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when the tax gap grows every year. In ERSAC, we talk about it every year. It was part of our report this year. The tax gap between what should be collected and what is being collected is being exacerbated all the time by all kinds of things. And the gig economy is just the most recent and uh, probably the most obvious thing. But, you know, there's the whole thing with foreign corporations and tax laws and everything else, some of which Trump, you know, resolved. Uh, and some of which he didn't. Uh, but anytime Congress writes a tax law, you've got a few hundred thousand people like me trying to figure a way around it. And we do. Right. We're, we're good at it. We're, we're better at it than the IRS is. Believe me, I promise you. So until they get a lot better at writing, writing these things and they get stiff about enforcement, and frankly, they provide enough budget to the IRS to do their job, it's going to get worse. And the small businessman is caught in the middle between the IRS and COVID and major corporations and, and globalists and everything else. Being a small businessman is tough. Believe me, I know. So is, is the, is part of this whole notion of, um, chasing the top 1% of wage earners to offset the losses is, is part of that a smoke screen so that people don't pay attention to how the small business is getting screwed. Absolutely. If you would confiscate the wealth of the top hundred thousand people in the country, 
it fund the federal government for like 45 days. Not their income, their wealth, everything they own. Right. The billions of dollars of Trump, the $100 billion of, of Bezos, uh, um, the rest of them, it's only going to run the government for a few months, max, and then you're out of money. So that if they don't get it off the middle class, the vast majority of us, the top 1%, you can take all they make, and it's not going to make much difference. It looks good on paper. It sounds good, but it doesn't do anything. It's not enough. There's not enough money there in that 1%. So you double their tax rate. Okay. You pick up what? Three or four days of the federal budget. Now what do you do? Double it again? At, at what point are they going to quit producing? At what point are they going to quit working? At what point are they going to say, I'm going to put it all in tax exempt bonds and not pay any taxes? Well, I mean, I we, we've actually, and you know this because you've seen it, but we, we've seen it in certain states where, um, where the the ultra high income earners that are paying significant taxes just say, "Hey, I'm I'm taking the business and I'm taking the residency and I'm moving." You're moving to Florida. You're moving to Texas. Yeah, there's no state income tax in Texas. Right, so because they, the, the the bite that is taken out of out of people's paycheck, it's not it's not equitable. No, it's not. Uh, progressive yeah. taxes are, are, are sound real good, uh, but man, uh, when you throw inflation in there, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're middle class, but you're playing what used to be the rich guy's rates with money that doesn't buy much anymore. So it, it gets real tough out there. So you, you've been watching this for over 30 <laughs> years, um, which is really kind of fascinating because – you know, perspective comes with age. Perspective comes with experience. It's uh, it's just a reality. It's one of the reasons Paul Newman was such a good race car driver is because he, he actually could think about taking his foot off the gas as opposed to constantly having it on the gas. It's fascinating. So your perspective, what is it going to take to get this straightened out? And, and in your opinion, is it going to get straightened out? That's a question I've pondered many a night. And I don't have an answer. I don't see, particularly with, with the way things are going in the last few weeks. I'm not sure there's a way out. I'm not sure we're not seeing the end of America as, as we grew up in it. Um, I hate to say that, and I'm hoping there's a way out, but I don't see it at the moment. Uh, I, I just don't see it. Uh, the country is so polarized. You know, I tend to be conservative uh, uh, fiscally uh, right. and, and liberal socially. But, you know, the right-wing media is, is, you know, way over here on one end of the bell-shaped curve. The liberal media, the mainstream media is way over on the other side. And they're yelling at each other. And I don't know anybody who's really listening to, to the truth anymore. And it's just, it's crazy out there. I don't, I, I, John, I, I wish I could say if this, this, this happens, it, you know, if the Supreme Court puts Trump back in, it's all going to be perfect. No, it's not going to be perfect. No. We're going to have riots in the streets again, I, you know. Right. And, and when, when law and order goes out the window, I remember after Katrina, 
I'm, I'm a Marine. You know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Katrina, there were two pictures in the newspaper. And one was a sign that said, looters will be shot. Mm-hmm. And I went, great. And there was another picture of the same sign. And next to the sign was a Marine Corps flag. So you knew the guy knew what he was going to do when he shoots you. Okay. So (laughs) you knew at that point in time, if you stepped across that fence, you were probably going to die. Now we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the laws are going to be tomorrow. We don't know if if we call the police, if they're going to show up and when, Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, Marine, okay. Um, I, I'm comfortable around guns. Not everybody is. That's fine. Uh, gun permits and gun sales are through the roof. I went to buy some nine millimeter ammunition for a friend of mine the other day. I'd taken her out to qualify for her concealed handgun. You can't buy nine millimeter in stores. The, 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 everything they buy is already sold. Everything they make is already sold. Uh, you've got to you've got to get it through a broker or something. People are scared, and rightfully so. Uh, defund the police? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's bad enough to get the police to come out now. Take away the money. What are you going to get? Uh, you know. Yeah, just it, just as a just as a plug, so everybody listens. Um, we have we have a uh, podcast in um, post editing right now where I speak with a police officer and get his perspective as a human being on what this all means to him and his family. And right. um, let me tell you something, folks. It is absolutely fascinating. Is it any different than what you might hear anywhere else? Not necessarily, but, you know, it is absolutely fascinating. These are human beings. These are people. Not John, all of them are good, but. Right. There, there's always, there's a bad apple everywhere. There's, sure. You know, there's, there's bad doctors, there's bad lawyers, there's bad uh-huh. CPAs, there's bad podcast hosts. Right. Okay. There, there's, there's, there's bad everything. And you just stay away from it if you can. How would you like to be a police officer in Minneapolis? Or Portland. Or Seattle. Or Seattle. Or New York City, <laughs> or Chicago, actually. Or right New now. York, yeah. 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 No, thanks. Uh, I wouldn't take that job on a bet. Yeah. So I feel sorry for him. Uh, I really do. I, I Actually, I take cupcakes to my local police department uh, about once a month just to say thank you. That's nice. That is nice. It's not much, but, you know, they appreciate when I show up with them. It's as much that I show up and I say, hey. I support you guys as it is the cupcakes, but you know, uh, it should be donuts, but cupcakes are all right. Cupcakes are all right. <laughs> yeah. And if, and if any, anybody wants to get into this just a little bit more, I would, I would strongly recommend, cause there's a lot of material on this. I would strongly recommend uh, reading Malcolm Gladwell's book called blink coming out a number mm-hmm. of years ago and dealing with the whole issue of trying to make decisions in the moment. Um, I think it'll help you put a little bit of perspective. It's not an answer, but it's a perspective that I think some folks listening might find um, of interest. It's a good book. Yeah. So what, so what can, you know, what can the small business owners do? What advice would you give them at this point? And, and, and I just, I just want to preface that with, with um, compounding what you were saying. I, I remember reading when the affordable care act, and we're not going to get into good, bad, or indifferent. It's not the point here. When the Affordable Care Act was voted upon, right, and and I still think there was a lot of good intention in it. The act itself was somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve hundred pages, and the legislature there, there were documented situations where the legislators legislators that were voting on it had not even read it. One of the most significant pieces of legislation in our lifetime, 
and they didn't even consider it important enough to read it. And that's the kind of thing it. we're dealing with. Yeah. We have to pass it to know what's in it. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. The business, small businessmen, stay the course, baby. Fight, scrap, kick, scream, do whatever you have to do. Uh, make it work. Uh, it's your livelihood. It's your life. Uh, it's your patriotic duty. Just do it. Make it work. One of my favorite sayings is uh, Microsoft. People will underestimate what they can do in a year. Yes. I'm sorry. People will overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. Right. So stick with it. Stay with it. That was Bill Gates. And keep working, keep fighting, keep growing, keep succeeding. Uh, you're going to have bad days, bad weeks, bad years. Uh, the IRS is going to be there. The state's going to be there. The cops may not be there. Uh, you may have to put gates on your, your windows and bars and everything else. Fight. M make it work. Be successful. It's your livelihood. It's your life. Do whatever you have to do to, to, to make it work. You know, we, we were speaking earlier, uh, before we went live, Charles, you and I both are of a generation where we not just remember, but lived through the late 60s. Yep. Um, and, and I do remember back then scratching my head saying, I can't believe that this is the country I live in and I can't believe how bad things can get. And we survived it. And we got into the 70s and we had things like gas shortages. We got into the 80s and had amazing prosperity, amazing prosperity. Yes. It was apps, money flowing out of faucets. And we had market <laughs> crashes that were just insane. We, we, live, we live in a cycle. It goes up, yep. it goes down. But if you think about it, people pay good money to ride on a roller coaster. The, the, the pendulum swings back and forth. And it swung very, very far one way. It will come back. When? Maybe in my lifetime, maybe not. Yeah, exactly. well, I'm an old man. But uh, it will come back, and it will swing more toward the center. Uh, fanatics are wrong just on the face of it. Anybody who it's, believes in absolutes is an absolute idiot. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm sorry. It, it's, you're, you're, it's never all one way, and it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, the, the biases change, uh, people change, institutions change, uh, the world has changed, and things will change, and things will come back to, at some point, more normal. I'm, I have no doubt you're right on that. Uh, I just don't know when, and I don't know how to accelerate it. So I just keep working and, and plugging away and, uh, you know, trying to make a living and grow my business and take care of my clients. Uh, and uh, get better at it every day. That's, that's all I can do is I get better at my business, which allows me to service my clients better, uh, which makes them happy, which makes them, you know, willing to pay me and I make a living that way. So so I want to, I'm going to jump to something a little bit different. Um, sure. First of all, where do you, folks, go, go look, go look at, Charles's LinkedIn page. It's insanity. Where do you get the energy? <laughs> and I mean that. No, seriously. I work out three times a week. Uh, I have a personal trainer that comes to the house. I've been with her for 
five years now. And uh, well, this morning she was over and for an hour, I lift weights. That's one thing that keeps me going. It, it's helped my blood pressure. It's helped my pulse rate. Uh, I'm losing weight. It's great for me. Uh, exercise is the fountain of youth. I really believe that. So exercise, go for a walk, do whatever you do, do it regularly, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, and over and over and over again. I believe in that. That's part of what it is. I get a good night's sleep. Uh, I've quit drinking, uh, you know. But there's something else that, that's coming through here. And, and I mean, it, I can tell just by listening to you, I can tell by, as I said, uh, when I look back on your life, what it says is pretty significant. But you, you are what I would call a giver. You want to be adding to society. Um, and I just yes. want to point this out because, you know, when you talk about stuff that, that gives you reason to live, Lake Dallas Independent School District. Folks, I just want to read this to you. For several years, I served as a volunteer teaching a business, volunteer teaching a business class to high school students for first period every day before going to work. What'd that do for you? I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It helped kept me young. Okay. Yeah. The, the kids are, are so much fun. They, they have their opinions. Uh, and, you know, I remember reading an, an article, a, a, a lecture about how the youth were, were, were terrible and the world was going to hell in a handbasket because they had no, you know, understanding of the world or, or anything else. And it was written by uh, Ptolemy the Younger in about 300 BC. So the world hasn't changed in that way. <laughs> so the kids were great. It was a lot of fun. It, it made me think a lot. I like to think I gave them a lot to think about. Uh, I was the only teacher in school that wore a tie and a coat. Uh, I wasn't going to give up that level of authority. Uh, right. Most of the teachers in, in school would not have been allowed in my high school dressed that way as students, right. let alone as teachers. Right. That was the 60s, okay? Yeah. The, the women wore skirts and hose. The men wore ties and coats, except the coach, he wore a track outfit. But, you know. It was a it was a different world, but the kids are wonderful. Uh, they 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 want to learn. Uh, they want to they want to know things, and I brought a lot of real world examples and real world people into the classroom. Uh, the superintendent, the congressman, local business people, all kinds of people to to talk to them about business and and government and the world, and they just ate it up. Uh, I wish I'd been able to keep it up, but my wife had her first stroke and I had to give it up. I may go back to it, but so, that was a lot of fun. So you got more out of it than you put into it. Oh, absolutely. The same thing. I, you know, in my early forties, I got to the point where I felt I could start to give back. I joined the Rotary Club of Dallas. I've been in it ever since. Uh, you know, I've been on the boards. I, I, I do a lot of things. Uh, I have a, a major scholarship that I've set up in my wife's name as her memorial scholarship. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I like to give. And what it's about the kids? Me. How are they keeping you young? Well, the grandkids are wonderful. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> they, that, that, that's that's a whole different world, baby. That's a whole different world. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. That's great. Yeah. So, so the the point of of going into this is that yeah, things are bleak right now. Things are crazy right now. Yeah. Um, things are depressing right now, and and yes, there is a are. lot of 
mental health issues that are going on because this is more than I think that the, that any human being should have to go through. And part of the responsibility that we have to ourselves is to find ways to re-energize ourselves. And that's why I just, listeners of of this podcast, that's why I just asked Charles to expand on that a little bit. And what I want you to hear is the enthusiasm with which, with which he did that because it is, Trust me, it is keeping him young. All of these things are keeping him young. One of the things I believe truly in my heart of hearts is happiness is a choice. You can be happy if you choose to be. And I choose to be happy. I choose to have a good time. I choose to enjoy life. Yes, the economy, the government, the taxes, uh, the riots in the streets, everything else it can be very depressing. <laughs> I don't disagree yes. with that. Yes. But I choose to be happy. I choose to get up. I choose to enjoy my job. I choose to have fun with it. I, 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 have, I enjoy the people that I hire. If, if they don't like that, then I let them go. I haven't let anybody go in years because I'm trying to be careful about who I hire. But, you know, have fun. Live life. Enjoy life. Do things. Enjoy things. Enjoy the things you do. You know, the, the old saw, find, find something you enjoy doing and you'll never work a day in your life. It's true. If you don't like what you're doing, find something you do like. What's on your bucket list? Well, I still haven't decided what I want to be when I grow up. I hear you. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I need to get my instrument license. I'm a pilot. Uh, I, at 52, I went and became a private pilot. Okay. Well, uh, I'm getting to the point now where I want to go get my instrument license uh, because I don't see so well, so I need the instrument so I can see what I'm doing. <laughs> so that, that's on my bucket list for this coming year. Okay. Uh, I continue to grow the business. I'm thinking about going to law school. Okay. Uh, and I've talked to the local uh, University of Texas has a law school now. It didn't when I went. It does now. Things okay. change. All right. So, Interesting. You know, I'm, I'm talking with them about that. Um, but, you know, I'm doing podcasts. I'm doing speaking. Uh, I'm doing all kinds of, of, of public events now, having a great deal of fun. This is fun. John, I'm, you know, this, is, this has been great. I enjoy this. Uh, you know, I, oh, hey, let me promote this. Well, that's, I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask book. you is, yeah, three books you wrote. Three books. This, this is number four. So, the so, Payroll so, Book. So tell, tell folks what that is since they can't see it. Okay. It's the Payroll Book. It's a guide for small business and startups. It's basically 30 years of experience distilled into 85,000 words. It's what every small business or entrepreneur needs to know about payroll. Uh, payroll, payroll-related things, some HR, some record-keeping, uh, PEOs, uh, illegal aliens, taxes, tax penalties, uh, deductions, earnings, who's an employee, who's not, independent contractors, you name it. Is uh, it a reference by, book? Well, it, it is, but it has horror stories. It has fun things in it. It has stories I've learned over the years. Okay. It, it's, it's, you keep it on your bookshelf. It's, it's, it's a dry read. I, you know, it's payroll, okay? Right. <laughs> not everybody gets the thing out of it that I do. But it, if you've got questions, it'll answer them. It's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Nobles, other fine bookstores. It's available at thepayrollbook.com uh, if you want to buy it from us. 
So I've spent two years, the last, it was published last August by Wiley, a major publisher, which I, attra I attracted to it, uh, which was fun uh, rather than self-publishing. Right. Uh, it, got a better, a company. it got a better editing job than I do. <laughs> well, there's that too. So that helped the book. And, and frankly, the index is just fabulous. I, I couldn't have done it if I had to. So uh, it's professionally done up, uh, but it's my thoughts and, and my stories and my horror stories and, and my gotchas and uh, remember this and string on the finger and so on. So uh, it's for small business and startups. If, if you're not a payroll expert, the, the next nearest thing to this is the, is the payroll source uh, from the APA and it's $600. This is, I think they have it at $23.95 now. So you get a lot of stuff for a fraction of the price. So it's, it's a good deal. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a whole discussion in, in, in the other side of my business that we have with, with folks that, uh, you know, when we ask them why they got into business, well, it was to do X or it was to do Y. And then we said, okay, well, when you decided to get into business, did you decide that you wanted to be a payroll expert, that you wanted to be a sales manager, that you wanted to be a hiring manager? And, and in every single one of those cases, we get these resounding, oh, no, I never wanted to do that. <laughs> well, then how do you think it's going to get done if one, you either don't do it, which you're not equipped to do it, or you don't go and find some experts that you can trust. Surround yourself with experts. That's why I have a marketing manager. That's why I have an operations manager. That's why I have a videographer. That's why I have an accountant. I don't have time to, to do some of the things that I know how to do. I just don't have time to do them all. In marketing, Jesus, if I started marketing as well as Anash does 30 years ago, I'd be Jeff Bezos today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's that, that particular discipline is getting more complex every single year. Oh, the social media, you know, personally, to me, Facebook is still for sending pictures to grandma. Right. I, I, <laughs> but <laughs> to my grandkids, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> well, actually, to my grandkids, Facebook's a little passe. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> So where can folks find you and how can folks get in touch with you? Because, hey, guys, seriously, what you're hearing is an expert. And if you do have a question, then you need to get in touch with Charles. It is really that simple. And I don't know that, uh, I don't know that it sounds like there's a whole lot of people that are better than he is. And I'm just saying that from an opinion perspective. So how do people find you? Well, uh, getpayroll.com on the web, uh, thepayrollbook.com for the book. Uh, I'm at uh, CJR at Get Payroll. That's my email. And frankly, if you guys have to, call me, 972-353-0000. The only good thing Verizon ever did for me. <laughs> so it's a great phone number. Uh, and call, and if my staff can't answer your questions, they'll, they'll put you to me or just call and ask for Charles. I don't mind. I like, uh, as, as John said, I, I'm a giver. If I can answer it off the cuff, I'll do so free of charge. Not a big deal. I enjoy doing that. Charles, an absolute pleasure. Um, the only comment I will make is I think your bucket list is a little short. I think you're an underachiever. What can I say to you? Um, but you'll work on that. Well, when I grow up, maybe I'll figure it out better. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know when that happens. I might join you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Absolutely appreciate it. My pleasure, John. Take care. 
Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.